Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. We continue our study in the book of Zechariah. We are in chapter four this week, and Pastor Joel is bringing the message, The Golden Lampstand. We are in uh, a series in the book of Zechariah. Uh, and if, this, if, this, if you're just new here, uh, this might feel odd. And if you're old here, this might feel odd too, because uh, Zechariah is a very uh, intriguing uh, book. So I feel a little bit lighter this morning because you'll see as we walk through this passage of Scripture that um, commentators are all over the board with this thing. So I'm going to give my best interpretation from my study and, and what I think the Lord is leading us uh, to. Um, but if there are places where you disagree with me uh, in, in the passage, that's, that's great. Uh, and actually, you probably side with some scholars and commentar- uh, commentators that uh, that I really respect, and so uh, I'm gonna. I feel a little bit lighter this morning because I'm like, okay, here we go. We're just trying it, and I'm giving my best uh, shot. So maybe even the grace part is let's, uh, pre-warning for you to offer grace. Uh, but I'd like to begin this morning by reading from Zechariah 4 in uh, verse 1, and we'll read down to verse uh, 7, Zechariah uh, chapter 4. And starting in verse 1, would you mind uh, standing, if you're able, as we read the word of the Lord? Hear the word of the Lord. Zechariah 4 and verse 1. The angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, well, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, "Uh, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, nope. Uh, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. We'll stop right there. Let me pray. Or as we come to this uh, ancient text uh, written so long ago, Lord, but so applicable to us today, would you open our eyes so that we could see? Would you wake us up? Out of our slumber, Lord, that as, even as we come here with so many things on our mind, would you wake us up to the reality of, of what you're saying in your word? Lord, that we would have ears to hear, we'd have eyes to see, and just like uh, Ethan already prayed, Lord, that we wouldn't leave here the same. So would you, would you touch everyone? Even through this confusing uh, vision, would, would you speak clearly to someone uh, just the words that they need to hear this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me go ahead and have a, have a seat. 
This is a very uh, interesting vision, and if it's your first time reading it, uh, there's people that have read it all week long and are still like, I'm not quite sure I get it. So, so we'll look at that. We'll consider this vision. But before we get there, I, I want to illustrate uh, this sermon, give another picture of actually a mountain mover. Um, there's uh, a village in India, if you can almost picture it. There's, it's on the east side of India. It's, it's called uh, Dashroth, uh, or sorry, that is Galor. And it's cut off. It's the lowest class of India society. So they're cut off from all other uh, villages and everything. They're surrounded, actually, by this, uh, this cascade of mountains that are jagged and sharp. Uh, and, and because they don't have very many resources, just on the other side of this mountain were, were like towns and society, tools, hospitals, everything that they needed. Well, in this little village, uh, there was a man named Dashrath Manji. Dashrath Manji. Uh, and he lived there, young guy. He'd just gotten married to his wife um, and was out working uh, in the fields uh, a little bit of ways from there uh, when his wife took him some food and, and water uh, to where he was working. But on those sharp, rocked, rocky mountains, uh, she actually slipped and fell and, and got injured, uh, very, very seriously injured. And so Dash, Dashrath, he, he grabbed her, and in order to get to all the villages and everything, it was a 40-mile journey that you had to go around all of the, the mountains. And so they began this journey around the mountains, uh, but on the journey, his wife actually passed away. Um, 26 years old, uh, Dashrath was, was so um, angry and fueled and would not want that to happen to anyone else again, that they were just on the other side of the mountain from the hospital. Uh, there, was, there was a mountain that, that stood in the way of his wife getting help and her death. And so when he came back, he was so determined to make a way through the mountain that he sold three goats. This is actually a true story. Three goats, uh, and he got a chisel uh, and, and a hammer and like a pick, and he began uh, to, to t tackle to try and move this mountain out of the way. Uh, you can imagine a 26-year-old guy, uh, so determined, people thought he'd lost his mind, he was crazy. I mean, you can't, what are you gonna do, move a mountain? Like, you can't, you can't do that. And every day, Dashroth would take out his hammer and chisel and he would just begin to, to, to swing away at this mountain to move the mountain. Well, 22 years he did this, every day. 22 years, he went out, and people said, you're crazy, you can't move a mountain. Uh, for 22 years, stone and rock at a time, uh, Dashroth actually saw the mountain open. Uh, so that this 40-mile journey, journey actually ended up only being nine miles uh, to just get over uh, the mountains to the hospital that they needed. Now, just like Man Manji, Dashroth Manji faced this task of moving a mountain Today we're going to see that as followers of Jesus, we have been invited to be mountain movers. We've been invited to be mountain movers. Uh, we'll, we'll see here in our text today how uh, the word comes to Zechariah to be given to Zerubbabel. Oh, you great mountain, what are you in, in the face of Zerubbabel? You're, you're going to become a plain. He's, he's being called, invited in to be a mountain mover, and you are as well. And you, you might be sitting here going, okay, that's a little bit like rah-rah, like really? We want to move mountains? Like that, that seems like a lot of work and it seems very difficult and I don't even know if I really want to even be uh, doing that. Like why would I do that? What mountain would God ask me, ask me to, be, to be moving 
anyway. And if, and if he is, then what, how do I go about moving a, a mountain? Well, that brings us back to our, our text. And before we consider this vision, I actually want to set the historical context up once, once again. Uh, Zechariah is written to exiles who were spent 70 years in Babylon and, and captivity and exile. They had sinned against the Lord, and, and Babylon had come and destroyed Jerusalem and carried off people for 70 years. And, and then when Persia overtakes Babylon, uh, Cyrus gives them this decree, hey, why don't you go ahead and go back and rebuild, uh, rebuild the city and, and the temple. Uh, so you can, you can imagine these waves of, of Jews coming back, this first, first wave coming back, and you've seen it in the news recently uh, of after a bomb goes off in the Middle East and what it looks like. Uh, the rubble, the stones, the, I mean, just the piles of debris, and that's what these, these people are coming back to. They're not coming back to fully functioning towns and, and homes. It's, it's destroyed. Everything is in ruins all around them. Well, there is this man named Zerubbabel that we're introduced to in the story uh, who is like the governor of uh, the area, and he's in charge of helping to rebuild uh, the temple. So he's putting things together. Zerubbabel is a really interesting, uh, really interesting guy as he is the grandson of Jehoiakim, who was this king that pops up uh, when they're in exile. You, you think the promise of David and to Judah is like, is it, is it gone now? Is God going to fulfill his promise to Israel? Is there going to be a king on, in the line of David on the throne? Uh, and then this king Jehoiakim comes up, and then all of a sudden you hear Zerubbabel, who, who's the grandson of him. So, so the line of David is still alive in the person of Zerubbabel. Well, Zerubbabel gets back to the land with these group of the people, and he, and he starts uh, working on this temple. But the very first thing you can do, I mean, you imagine, you come back to just destruction all around. The first thing he has to do is he has to uh, clear things off and relay the foundation. Uh, so he's moving boulders and rocks and, and debris out of the way so he can reset the foundation where the, the temple had once uh, been. It, it actually takes two years to do that. Two years to just, at the end of it, all you have is the foundation. You have nothing to show for it other than this clear space of, of land. Two years, uh, and then some political turmoil happens, uh, and, and things start talking to other people, and then you're like, I, then the work gets paused. And, and something for like 16, uh, maybe 17 years, uh, on there is the foundation of the temple, and I can I imagine like this, like this just huge mount of debris right here, and, and for 17 years people walk around the debris field, and nothing happens to the foundation of the temple. There's just like this pile of rubble there and, and nothing. And it probably, it probably looked impossible. It probably looked like rebuilding this temple is going to be like putting a, a hammer and a chisel to, to a mountain. This, is, this even, is this even possible? Well, then Zechariah, that's the setting of when Zechariah gets these visions, as they're encouraging them to continue building uh, the temple. So we're going to see this fifth vision, it's the fifth out of eight visions. So we're actually right in the middle part, the fifth out of eight visions, and we're going to consider it in two parts uh, this morning. So here's kind of the outline of what we're going to, to look at. As they're given this vision to Zechariah to encourage Zerubbabel to continue building the temple, really this idea of, you, I'm asking you to move a mountain, Zerubbabel, and there's two things that you're going to need in order to move this mountain. You're going to need to be fueled by the Spirit and faithful to the call. Fueled by the Spirit and faithful to the call. 
He's going to be called to move brick upon brick towards this long-range goal that's going to take some, some time. Fueled by the Spirit and faithful to the call. So now let's, let's slow down a little bit, and I want to describe this vision that uh, Zechariah sees. So he has four visions in one night, and then he falls asleep. Uh, it's, it's probably like, he probably felt like, wow, what was all that? Is probably exhausted, falls asleep, and this angel comes and wakes him up. Like wakes him up like somebody who's like in the middle of a sleep. Like, wake up, you gotta, you gotta see this. Um, and, and he's starting basically all over again with, with these uh, visions. There's like the halfway point. Narratively, it's kind of the halfway point between uh, the first four visions and the last four visions, which, which helps us set them uh, in parallel to each other. And they are parallel to each other. So it's circular, but you're also supposed to be uh, seeing these as they relate to, to one another. So uh, Vision 5 really sets in parallel to Vision 4, what you saw last week. So if you didn't listen to Tom's message last week, go back and listen to it. Great message uh, as he talks about uh, this high priest, Joshua, Yeshua, who is given these clean clothes. And that's going to be really set up in parallel to our vision uh, this week. Uh, and it puts it uh, together as you have this high priest, and now you have the son of the king. Uh, actually, Jesus comes along in his line. If you look in uh, Matthew genealogy, you'll see Zerubbabel in the line of, of Jesus. So you have this high priest and this king that are going to be put together, and we'll see at the end of the message how, how that happens. Well, he's woken up. He sees this vision of a golden lampstand. There's seven uh, lamps on this golden lampstand, and you can think of a menorah. We've all seen a menorah probably before, with one candlestick and seven like uh, lamps going out of there. Uh, this would have been uh, very recognizable. There's uh, Zechariah and Zerubbabel who are in the midst of building the temple. We have Joshua last week who was a priest in the temple, and this menorah was was put in the temple. It was one of the golden. Uh, instruments in the temple that was supposed to signify the presence of the Lord in the temple. They, there's a whole chapter on it in, in Exodus 25 about this golden lampstand that you can go back and read and you're like, oh, that's the lampstand that he sees. A lampstand is also very interesting in the Bible. As in Revelation, in uh, chapter 1, it talks about a lampstand as used to symbolize the churches. It's the presence or the witness of the, the Lord in the world. Which also Jesus even says on the Sermon on the Mount when he says that you are the light of the world. Well, this light is a witness or a testimony of God's presence in the people of God. So here's this lampstand with seven lamps on it. And above it is this bowl that's collecting oil from these olive trees. And then from that bowl, there are these channels that go down to each of the seven lamps that allows the candle to continually burn. It's like it's connected to the source, this tree that gives the oil in there that continually allows the light to continually burn. The lights are continually lit. There is no need for a priest to change the oil or to fix the wicks. There was no need uh, to stop the light from, uh, from shining on, in this lamp. They didn't need to actually, in this vision, they didn't need to press any of the uh, olives to make the oil. There was... No human effort in the lighting of these lamps. It was only connected to the tree that would bring light or life. That it would stay lit continually. Now, this is very different from the picture that they would have seen in, in the temple. Now, let, me, let me 
read a section from Leviticus, and this is of the job of the priest in relation to the golden lampstand. And you'll see the, you'll see the difference here. Le- Leviticus 24.1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a lamp may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony, in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. Let's stop right there. We could go on. But the basic idea is these priests, one of their main jobs is to keep this lamp going. And so they needed the people to, to beat the oil and to continually harvest this oil to have enough oil. And then that was given to the priests who were day and night supposed to uh, re- like refuel the lamp so that it would burn. They would, they would take it out and clean it. They would trim the wicks. They would get everything right to keep a lamp burning all the time regularly, uh, not just for like a, a day or a month when the power goes out. This was regularly for centuries. Can you, can you imagine just as a priest uh, what you needed to do to keep this lamp going was just always on the back of your mind. You can't let the light go out. You needed to work. You needed to work hard. You need to be on your mind. But in this vision that Zachariah sees, there is no need for any human effort. There's no need to beat any olives as these lamps are connected to the olive tree. They're connected to what brings life and light. And Zechariah asked, he's like, what, what is this? And if you read it and you're like, what is this? You're in good company. Zechariah saw it and was like, what is this? I don't understand. And the angel responds, you don't know? And all of us go, no? I don't get it. Now, there's some commentators that are like, the angel is like rebuking uh, Zachariah, because he should have gotten it. I actually don't think so. I think he's pointing it out. Yeah, you don't know what this is yet. You're seeing something that's not quite reality yet, but it's coming. This is a message to Zerubbabel, he says, who's leading the temple rebuilding. And this message that he says that what you're seeing is this message, uh, and you might have heard this before. I heard it all growing up. It's in verse 6, not by might, Not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So as he's urging him to to rebuild this temple, keep working, he says, it's actually not going to be by your might or your power, but it's by my my spirit. Now, oil in the Bible is representative of the spirit as you're anointed. as As the spirit anoints you, it's as this oil comes over you. Now, this lamp then is connected to the tree and the oil is continually flowing. Really, I think symbolizing the indwelling of the Spirit or the picture of the church. So Zachariah says, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I think the angel is like, yeah, but hold on to this, this picture. It's the, it's the pouring out of the Spirit on God's people that will dwell in them. Uh, I think this is a, a picture of the Pentecost. Uh, so let me let me nerd out a little bit, and I'm going to stand beside the altar, uh, or beside the uh, the pulpit, because 
this, there's a lot of commentators and a lot of people that think a lot of different things. So let me just give you one idea out there uh, as a humble uh, uh, approach to this. It's a little bit geeky and a little bit nerdy. Um, so above that, uh, above that uh, lampstand, there is this there is this bowl that's getting collecting the oil in it that's continually feeding uh, the lampstand. And if you look on there, it says there are seven lips or seven channels to each of the seven lamps. So you have this bowl that's collecting. Uh, it's like the what's going to fuel the lamp, and from that bowl. You could even say like a, this super bowl, not just an ordinary bowl. <laughs> this, wait, it gets better. Just, that's why I stepped aside. Cause, so you got this like super bowl that is, that is giving power to the lamp to be a witness and, and a light. And from, from this bowl to each of the seven lamps, there are seven channels. Now, how many mathematicians in here? Seven times seven is what? Do I even need to? <laughs> 40, 49. Now, I'm not predicting anything, because if, if the 49ers don't win, then I'll be stoned next week, according to Old Testament. Okay, so when I say 49 out of that, uh, and you guys know, this is the context in America. Super Bowl, 49. Oh, you get it. Uh, Red and gold. Got it, right? So here is this gold. <laughs> so you have this symbolism or this imagery. I know it's funny, but in, in Israel, when they would have seen, why do they have seven channels to the seven lamps? 49. What would that mean? Now, just like us, it's kind of funny. For the Israelites, though, it wouldn't have been funny. It would have represented a Sabbath of Sabbaths. It would have rented a jubilee the year of rest, the year of undoing, the year of forgiveness and hope and restoration and forgiveness and freedom, 49. It would have represented the day on which Israel had received the law on Mount Sinai. 49 days and they received the law. And on the 50th day, they were to celebrate. Because the, the law is good. It shows us where we're broken and leads us to the Lord. Uh, so they celebrated every year that, that day after they had gotten the law on the 49th day, and they called that celebration Pentecost. Then the fulfillment of that is on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out on His people, when the indwelling of the Spirit in all the people. I, I, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think this is a picture of the indwelling of the Spirit in His people, the church. That we would be the light of the world, not by human efforts, not by us doing anything, not by might or power, but by the Spirit, God would build His church. And that's much better than 49ers winning the Super Bowl. Well, not by might, not by power. Now, those two words, at least for me, might and power, they, they seem almost synonymous. So, so I think uh, understanding a little bit of what they're connected to in Hebrew is, is helpful. Might... Uh, in, in the Hebrew language, it's connected to power, or it's connected to armies. So you could always say, not by might or not by armies, not by force or the sword. He's saying the kingdom of God is not going to come in and just invade like an army. And it's not by power, and that power is actually connected to resources, weapons of war. 
what, what you have at your disposal, what the army would actually use. It's not by armies and it's not by their resources. You can't build the kingdom of God by your skill, your weapons, your tool, your knowledge, your money, anything. Not by might, not by power. If you want to see mountains moved, it's not going to be on how smart we are or how big we are, how forceful we are. If we're going to see mountains move, we have to keep in step with the Spirit as He moves and guides. If when we do it in our own power, our own testimony, the light begins to fade in our community. When we break connection to the source, when we no longer are connected to this tree of of life and light, so then the, the question really is, well, how do we stay connected to that so that we as individuals and even as a church can step with the Spirit to see mountains moved uh, all around us? How, how do you know if you're doing it in your own might or if you're doing it in the power of the Spirit? Here's a simple test to know. Uh, simply ask, did I pray about this? Before I did it, did I stop and recognize It can't be by my power. It can't be my strength or my might that I pray about it. Or did I just rush out and do it and go, I got this one, Lord. I'll call you on the heavy stuff, but this light stuff, let me just do on my own. Every situation then, it's almost like we should be praying continuously uh, as we move and work. To stop and ask the Lord, would you give me oil for my lamp? Keep me burning, burning, burning. Give me oil for my lamp, I pray. Do we turn to the Lord in those situations, or do we turn uh, away from Him? Do we rely on our own strengths or resources? But Jesus talks about abiding in Him, that we're connected to the vine. I think all these ideas are... are they see seeds of those in, in Zechariah 4, that we're connected to the vine. We're connected to this olive tree, this tree of life that brings light. If we're to see mountains moved, lives transformed, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation of people, healing of nations, we need to be connected to the Spirit. We need to be fueled to be this light to see mountains moved. So the Lord is encouraging Zerubbabel through Zechariah and these visions to keep going. Keep moving. Keep being the light to the world. And he encourages them, pick up that rock and and move it. Just one rock at a time. And he says, uh, Zerubbabel, that first rock that you laid, you're also going to lay the very last rock. And the last stone is going to be to shouts of grace, grace to it. Because it's not, not because of how great you are, Zerubbabel. It's because of the spirit that you're connected to that's moving you along. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit the outpouring of grace. So it's not by our strength. But that doesn't mean Zerubbabel is off the hook. It doesn't mean he goes, not by might, not by power, it's by the Spirit, so great. I'm going to sit back and just watch the Spirit do His thing, and I'm off the hook, I don't got to do nothing. That's not it at all. The Word of the Lord comes to Zechariah a second time, uh, part of this vision, and encourage him, And it's encouraging him to be faithful to the call. That the call the Lord has on his life is a unique one. And he's saying, be faithful to the call every day to pick up that brick and put it over there. A brick upon a brick. Let's look in verse 8. Chapter 4 and verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. 
Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Connecting us back to last week as well. Verse 11. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, nope. I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. We'll stop right there again. Uh, this, this section actually is so, it's, it's kind of a little bit confusing, but it's so powerful and so meaningful that Israel has actually shaped their coat of arms, as you can see up there, uh, to reflect that of Zechariah 4. It's their, their coat of arms. You see the menorah in the middle, this golden lampstand, and you see these two olive branches, and then in Hebrew down below it, it says Israel. It's the picture of, of, of Israel. They, they understand Zechariah 4 to be so meaningful to who they, who they are. Now, there are lots of thoughts and ideas on the two olive trees or these two branches and what they stand for. In Hebrew, if you look in your Bibles, you might have a little footnote, if you see it there. Uh, in Hebrew, it doesn't actually say the, the anointed ones. It's not Mashiach. Uh, it, it's actually the two sons of new oil or fresh oil. Now, there's a lots of debate about there. I, I think these two... Uh, olive trees actually represent the positions of the king and the priest, or Joshua and Zerubbabel, that will come together. We'll actually see them come together in the book of Zechariah and to be one person. There's two witnesses, but one, one person that fulfills that. We'll, we'll see that in a, in a couple weeks. Uh, but the word comes to Zechariah, and he tells Zerubbabel, you laid the first stone, and you'll also lay the last stone. And from this time to the completion of the temple, it actually takes another four years to build the temple. Brick by brick, stone upon stone. You know, we often pray that when mountains would be moved, and we, we hope that the Lord would just scoop them up with like some tractor and move them. But really how mountains are moved is often a day at a time. One brick, one stone after one brick and one stone. The first brick is laid in the temple. The rubble does it. And I'm sure if you looked at that and saw one brick on this massive foundation of the temple, you'd have said, yeah, good luck. It's nothing. It's not, it's not big. It's not impressive. It's small. It's insignificant. Nothing to write home about. But after years, after days of hard work, of being faithful to the call of the mountain, really, that God had called him to, he sees the temple completed. You know, in, in some ways, I was thinking about this week, we're all kind of surrounded by jagged mountains. Uh, these dangerous uh, cliffs or things that seem in, in, impossible for us. I mean, how are we ever going to reach Oregon with the light of Christ? That's like Im, Im, impossible. We, we, how can we even reach our schools or our neighborhoods or how about just our families? Would we ever see revival here in Portland metro area? That, that looks like a mountain that is way too big. 
Or maybe it's something personal as well. You know, we all live in kind of a shadow of some imposing mountain. And probably most of us have for years or decades. And, and just like the Israelites, we might have gotten very comfortable of just walking around it. It's just part of the landscape and we just deal with it. Or maybe we've even gotten so comfortable that we've said, let's just move on top of this mountain. It's there, we'll just use it as a, a landscape. The Lord was not asking to ignore it or resign to the fact that it was there. He encouraged them to engage, to move a mountain. So as we trust in the Spirit to fuel us, what do we do? I mean, what do we practically do to move a mountain? Let me, let me offer three suggestions at the end from our text, how we move mountains. It has to be connected and fueled by the Spirit, but there are three practical ways I think uh, Zechariah and Zerubbabel tell us on how we are to move mountains. The first one is this, be wise, be wise. Not every mountain is yours to move. Zerubbabel was not given the task to build the walls of the city or build a fort or build a coliseum. He laid the first brick of a temple. That was the calling that God had given to him, to build a temple. He identified the mountain that he was supposed to move. So every day, even if he got bored of it or wanted to see something else, he was supposed to build a, a, a temple. You know, Manji, Dashroth Manji, he didn't choose any of the mountains in that range uh, to start uh, chipping away at. He chose the one that would get him connected to the hospital on the other side. It wasn't as if he was like, oh, I just want to see if I can move a mountain. Wouldn't that be cool? There was a, there was a point to it. So he chose the mountain wisely and day after day went to move the mountain. So, so which mountain is yours to move? And there's probably one or two that God has given you, and it's not all of them, but he's given you one, and he's asking you, would you be a mountain mover? One, be wise. Here's number two, be faithful. Be faithful. Do small things well repeatedly. Just the small things. Just what you've been given to do today. And it might just be one brick. You do one brick today. And tomorrow, you do another brick. You're, you're faithful to do the small things and do them well. To put your effort and excellence into everything you do as unto the Lord with all your heart. If it's fixing a meal for somebody, then fix the best meal ever. If it's taking out the trash, take out the trash. If it's, if it's cutting a tree up, cut the tree up. If it's reading your Bible, because you just don't know it, then read one page at a time. And you might read the first page and be like, yeah, that didn't do anything for me. That's small. That doesn't mean anything. But if you read it day after day after day after day, after 22 years, you're going to look back and go, God has moved mountains in my own heart. If you pray, pray every day faithfully. Be faithful to what God is calling you to do. Faithfully brick upon brick. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do here at Hollyview. You're not coming to anything fancy. You're coming to get a brick. <laughs> Here's a brick. And next week, it'll just be another brick. And the week after that, it'll be another brick. But our hope is that if we walk in, in tune with the Spirit, that that after a long time that we're going to see mountains moved and things changed even here. 
It may not look as if that mountain has changed, but after 22 years, you will see the mountain break open. It may not seem important right now, but the small things done well every day will move mountains. So be faithful. Be wise. Be faithful. And here's the last one. Uh, Number three is be strategic. Be strategic. Plan for the long game. I think this is, especially in our culture, Western culture of instant, we often fall short on this one. Uh, I know this is one I've been wrestling with uh, recently as well. To be strategic, to plan for the long game. Building a temple wasn't just a flash in the pan one day. Like, sweet, we're going to do an activity, let's get everyone together to build the temple, and it's, and it's done. It, this, this took years I mean, two years to lay the foundation, another 17 years that they waited and got everything situated that they could actually start building again. And they start building again, it's another four years. It's like 22 or 23 years they were building this temple. And, and the whole time Zerubbabel has something in his, in his hands, if you noticed, Zerubbabel has a plumb line in his hands. Uh, a plumb line, uh, often to mark out, it's some intentionality of, of how to build this thing. They would put like this weight down below and have this string so to make sure that as they're doing it, they're putting a brick or a rock or something, and then they're putting the plumb light out and saying, how is this one rock going to impact the rock that I put on there a year from now or two years from now or four years from now? So the idea of being strategic is like, what are the things that you're doing today? How are they going to impact your kids, but not even your kids? How are they going to impact your kids' kids and the kids of those kids if the Lord doesn't come back? How are the words you're saying going to impact the people around you? How is your faithfulness to to reading God's Word, to serving, to to being a light to your community? How, How are the bricks that you're laying down now, how is that going to impact the very last brick that you will lay down? So that's the question. What's, what is God calling you to do? What mountain is he inviting you to be able to, to move? Connected to the Spirit. It's not every mountain, and it's actually not a very easy call. It's a very humble call to put your hand to work day after day. So how do you know where that mountain is? Let me just give you uh, three questions to ask if you're like, what's my mountain and where am I supposed to be doing it? The three questions to ask. The first one is this. Do I have the ability or the skill to do that? Has God gifted me for this area? Uh, I, I, I do have a little bit of a, um, a calling that God has on my life. Uh, it might be a surprise to some of you. Uh, I believe God's called me to play for the Blazers. Uh, I'm very excited about that calling. Uh, I'm hoping that it will take fruition. And then somebody, okay, great, throw me a basketball. Uh, let me shoot a few three free throws. And you'll say, I don't know if that's your calling, Joel, like, because I, don't, I may not have the abilities or skills, but if God's calling you to do something, he's going to have the skills and ability or develop those in you to, to be able to do that. So do you have the ability or the skills to do that? Here's the second question. Have I heard the confirmation of other people? Other people that have the Holy Spirit in them that are walking alongside you, have you slowed down enough to ask them, what do you think? Is this an area where you think the Lord could use me? That confirmation of, of other people, actually getting wise counsel, uh, will help you in discerning. Um, I could ask you, hey, what do you guys think about me playing for the Blazers? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there, I, I have to humble myself. I mean, I think I'm pretty great. I can't quite dunk yet, but I think I'm pretty good. But humbling myself to ask other people, where do you, where do you see God using me 
where, where would you see my abilities and my talents being used for the kingdom of God? Uh, and, and inviting people into that, confirmation of others. Here's the, the third one. It's passion. Do you desire to do it? Do you desire to do it? And if it's in line with the, with the Bible, with the Scripture, and it's not outside of some commandment that he has given, and you have the ability, you have the confirmation of other people, and you have a passion to do it, I think it's a little bit the Lord saying, yep, that's your mountain. Go for it. Be plugged into the Spirit. Be wise. Be faithful. Be strategic. And then watch mountains move. Now, this is, we're just a little tiny church. People don't even know where we're at. They drive by. It's amazing you even found it today because... People drive by and go, yeah, I've never, I've seen the sign, but I don't even know where it's, where it's at. How could we make any impact on our community? Right? How, how could we, like, it seems impossible. But I think if we are walking in touch with the Spirit, connected to the Spirit, abiding in Him, that we're being wise and faithful if we have strategic, for thinking, okay, Lord, how do you want to use us? If we're putting brick upon brick, the Lord will allow us to see mountains move. Maybe not in our lifetime, maybe in our kids' lifetimes or our kids' kids' lifetime. But I want to lay a brick today that's going to be helpful for my grandkids that are going to look back and go, thank you, Grandpa. Matthew 21, 21, and Jesus answered them and said, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt and will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. I think a faith that is wise, is faithful, is strategic, and is connected to the Spirit and going, Lord, give me oil in my lamp. Let's pray. Lord, would you allow us to be a people that see mountains moved? Not in big flashy things, but brick upon brick of faithful people who are connected to you, who are walking in step with your spirit, who are attacking the right mountains that are strategic, that are thinking beyond um, just us today, and are faithful. Uh, faithful to, to measure uh, to continue to go back to the Spirit and ask where you'd want us to be involved. Lord, as we pray, uh, as we uh, pray to you even now, Lord, would you fill us? Would this be a common posture of us through the whole day? That as we enter into, into our schools, into the classroom, uh, workplace, into our families, into difficult relationships, that we would even just pray just this quick prayer. Lord, would you fill me with the Spirit? so that I could be a light to you, to the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel rooted in God's Word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.